right, here we go. Spreading the court. Ten seconds remaining. They just got to throw it under the basket. Under the basket. It's down to seven seconds. It's the truth for the win. Gone. Oh! He did it. A miracle. Hutchins. Double order. Hit that one from the parking lot. Shock it all in college basketball. It's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to Big Bets on Campus. This is the Monday college basketball betting preview. I'm Stucky, and joining me as they do each and every Monday, BJ Cunningham and Mike Calabrese. Gentlemen, how are you? Wonderful, Stucky. It was a wonderful weekend of college basketball and NFL playoffs. I'm I'm looking forward to uh, finally getting into the full swing of college basketball here going forward. I had enough mid-major instances where teams had some serious melts for me, so that gets my blood pressure up to the right level to sustain me through the month of February, you know, into March madness. So I'm in good shape here. I'm feeling pretty solid. Yeah. I, uh, unfortunately I have to, I do our NFL podcast, the action network podcast. We don't download. Otherwise I would be done with the NFL as a bill's futures holder, but uh, I, there's only three NFL games off. It is like full go on college basketball, looking forward to immersing ourselves in it through the end of the season today. What we'll go through is a look for tonight. We'll also talk a little, Kansas, Texas Tech. We'll look at a spot for tonight and tomorrow. Um, we'll start with takeaways from the weekend, though. So, Mike, I'll start with you, and then we'll get to a rant, by the way. Uh, but uh, I'll start with you. Big takeaway from the week that was or weekend or just anything high level. So I'll go to the A-10, which is a conference that at the beginning of the year, I think, had aspirations clearly to be a multi-bid league right now. If you look at Bracket Matrix, the only team that is in the field of 68 is Davidson sitting on the nine line. As a team that I've been bullish on the whole season, obviously they had that marquee win against David or against Alabama in the non-conference schedule, and they've won 15 straight. But this game against Fordham looked like a trap for a lot of different reasons. And I think it was a good indication of how they can win ugly and kind of gut out those poor performances offensively. And you saw it with Hun Jun Lee and Michael Jones only combining for nine total points. When they can win, when those two guys aren't carrying the load, I think that's a really good sign for them. They got VCU, uh, the Bonnies, and Rhodey coming up in their next six games. So for me, just as a game where, you know, I was looking at it on the score app and the action app and kind of seeing as it was progressing in the first half, I jumped in live to grab them. I was glad to see that they came back and won that game. But really, I think it's more indicative of them solidifying themselves as one of the top three best mid-majors in the entire country. So that was a game that I was interested in um, to see how they would handle emotionally coming off of a win against VCU earlier in the week. So I'm impressed with Davidson. Um, I think if they can play their way up to the, the seven line, that puts them in position, you know, in that first weekend to catch maybe a Nova, LSU, Purdue team. And I think they're going to be a live dog. What are your thoughts? on the Wildcats this season. Yeah, I, it's, a, it's a really good point. I mean, their, their offense, McCulloch's offense are all just always beautiful motion to watch, and they always get great shots. And, you know, Lee, I think he has potential to play at the next level. We'll see. But they, and this team can shoot, and they can score with anyone in the country now. And they can make a run in the tournament. But I think that um, – I said tournament again. I was getting made fun of last night by my wife and all of her friends. Tournament, I think I'm supposed to say. But uh, it's my Delco accent coming out. I don't think that they would want to see a team like Purdue or Kentucky. They can't have a team that's just – that can completely 
overpower them inside because I think it would be a layup drill. That's where they're really soft. But you saw them beat Alabama. I think that's like the perfect kind of team, like a, that they could upset in the you know to get to the second weekend. It's a team that's not going to overpower them. Let's get in a shooting contest first at ninety, and they could beat anybody. Be any thoughts on Davidson? Well, yeah, we talked about him last podcast. Obviously, there you know some shooting aggression is going to come. They're shooting over forty two percent from behind the arc, so that's going to come down. You mentioned it. They're soft inside. They're not a good offensive rebounding team. They don't get to the free throw line at a high rate. It's basically just three point shots or nothing, and that can carry you through you know a few uh games in the tournament but like you said eventually when you have to face a team that has some size inside they can get the ball down low and dominate you it's gonna be really tough for davidson but you know we'll see they have vcu this week and then a game going to st bonaventure coming up here in a little bit and that's going to be a very interesting game to see where they're actually at and if they're truly one of the best mid-majors in college basketball yep uh yeah and as president of the uh Homeless fade Davidson fan club. I did not indeed fade them on Saturday because uh, that would be a profitable venture. Uh, I believe you did, right, PJ? Did you go through? Yep, yep. I had uh, Fordham, and then I, I realized one of Fordham's guys was out, and I was quickly trying to figure out if I should uh, just hedge out of it. And I just said, you know what? Let's just let's just let it ride. And it actually worked out for once. Usually that never works out when I when I do well, something I, like I, that. I, but I stayed away for the greater good of the podcast and for you so that you could cash. Oh, uh, thank you very much. That was very kind of you. Takeaway from you from either this past week or weekend? Yeah. So, I mean, it kind of went under the radar with the NFL playoffs going on, but Michigan went into Bloomington and just blew out Indiana yesterday. And now they've won two straight, blew out Maryland on Tuesday. And I think we kind of have to ask the question, is Michigan somewhat back? You know, they were the number two Ken Palm team coming into the season. They're – you know, their defense has been horrible all season long, but offensively they've, you know, put up over 1.2 points per possession in their last two games. You know, Dickerson is back. They're starting to get a little bit healthy. They have a fairly interesting schedule coming up. They got Northwestern at home on Wednesday. Then they go to Michigan state on Saturday, which will be a huge, huge game. And then Purdue the following Saturday. So It'll be interesting to see where this Michigan team is actually at. Are they, uh, are they, you know, up to the level of those upper echelon teams like Purdue, like maybe Michigan State, even though Michigan State has is due for some regression. But, you know, this is a team that was obviously very highly touted coming in season and has loads and loads of talent. So, you know, maybe keep an eye on Michigan as, as we go forward here, especially in the futures market. They're, they're probably uh, pretty good, decent odds right now. And if they actually can make a run as we get closer to the Big Ten tournament and everything, you know, we, they could – potentially sitting, you know, see uh, as a four or five seed uh, there. But, you know, before the Maryland game, they only had beaten one team inside the Ken Palm top 100. So it was really, really bad. And they had basically gotten to the bottom of the barrel after, you know, get, getting beat by Illinois. So I think Michigan is kind of due for a run here. They, they, we'll see what happens. But I kind of like the Wolverines. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what their current future price is, but I'm going to keep an eye on it. And especially, you know, that game against Michigan State is going to be huge to see where they're actually at. Yeah, um, my, my big takeaway over the past week is somewhere – it's almost very similar to the Michigan story, and it's Oregon. Uh, we yeah. talk about just like, okay, Dana Altman time at times will – you know, especially with a new roster, a lot of turnover, you'll see them struggle earlier in the year. And then come March, the defense – you know, they, they run a lot of defenses. They'll switch it up with press, and then they're, they're morphing zone and the men in the same possession. So, like, it's not a, an easy system to pick up. And then usually, you know, he has them peaking – Towards March, I had questions about the interior day, the defense in general, how the pieces were going to fit offensively. They go, they sweep, they sweep USC and UCLA. They look fantastic again last night. Oregon is, uh, I think right now, a legit 
chance. They have a legit chance to make a run in the tournament. Uh, Mike, any thoughts on either one of those teams? If you believe in one or the other? Yeah, I, I agree. And I think it does fit as you were laying out that narrative with those Altman teams where they just become a pest in terms of game planning because they're throwing so much at you defensively. And now they're finally getting contributions across their starting lineup, you know, scoring the basketball. So I agree with you. It's, it's a, a league in general that is really been begging for those, you know, that third and fourth team to emerge that can really put it together in the conference tournament come March. And I agree. I, I think depending on their price to win, you know, the, the pack 10 or the pack 12 tournament come March, that's a team I have circled. Yeah. To go look, go look at uh, Dana Altman's, tournament results and just look Oregon can says like even when people don't expect them to make a run tournament setting teams that aren't familiar with Oregon you know you have one day to prep that Thursday like that's it's a hard team to play so look out for them I think both of those uh I think it's a, a good team to bring up each that you did in Michigan but Michigan and Oregon both clearly trending up all right before we go on to tonight and tomorrow's card quick rant all right let it out are you out of your goddamn mind this is your rant of the week Anything you want to run about could be uh, NFL overtime, which I won't get into or anything else, but hopefully it's about college basketball. I'll start Miami. I just have the Miami money line. I just need them to beat Florida state. They came out, they lay an egg. They've lost like their 50th straight game. Go away, go lose by 30. You're down 27. I'm okay. I wrote it off. I accepted the loss. Don't come all the way back and have a shot to win it. Pull me all the way back in. I didn't even pay. I wasn't even looking at the game on the app. And then I'm like, wait, they're down five. Oh, I got to turn this on. Oh, wait, we got the ball back with a shot to win. Oh, we're going to, we're just miss a jumper and lose by one. Don't do that. Go away. Just leave. I don't, I was okay with it. So that was uh, uh, an awful start to uh, a bad Saturday for me. But um, yeah, please dogs. If you're going to die, just die. Don't come all the way back and tease me. BJ. I'm going to go with Rutgers. So this game wasn't even on my radar. I wasn't really paying attention to it. And then an hour before tip, Rothstein tweets out that Eric Curry, Jameson Battle, and EJ Stevens, basically three starters for Minnesota, are out due to COVID protocols. So I bet on Rutgers, minus two and a half. I threw their money line in a, in a round robin. And they allowed Peyton Willis to score 34 points, to go eight from 13 from behind the arc. And Minnesota basically just played five guys the entire game. Well, two guys came off the bench for three minutes each, and that's it. Rutgers shot three free throws for the entire game against a team that had no depth, no starters, no nothing. And Minnesota just switched to a zone, and Rutgers just kept passing the ball around the arc and then eventually taking a horrible three. They even led by three points with about three minutes left to go, and they just couldn't stop two guys for Minnesota. It was crazy. I couldn't believe it. I was... It was really, really frustrating because, you know, Rutgers, they beat my Hawks on Thursday. They hold one of the best offenses in college basketball, one of the best scorers in college basketball in Keegan Murray to a total of 46 points. And then they give up 1.24 points per possession against Minnesota on the road, down three starters, basically playing five guys. Will it was, Willis almost outscored your, your Hawks. Exactly. Ah. It, was, it was very a very painful day, uh, a very painful way to start off my college basketball Saturday. And it just left me in a really sour mood uh, yeah, for, the, for the rest of the day. It's, it's just this, there's, there's certain things you're going to have to accept this year that on both ends of the spectrum, right? You're going to make a bet and then mm-hmm. you're going to have guys that are out and then you're going to, they're going to, your team's going to get blown out. And you didn't know about it. Then you're going to have the, the other side where the team that you bet against has guys out. And then it's, it's a basketball game. 
shooting variance. The other team's going to come out and then they win by 20 with all of their backup. You, you just have to accept it. It's the crazy times <laughs> that we live in. Um, Rutgers, clearly a different team away from the rack, but yeah, that must have been a frustrating one. Mike, where are you going? Uh, so obviously I'm, I'm dialed into CAA basketball and this one really frustrated me. It was in, it was one of my two picks uh, for my column with Tanner McGrath that we put out on Friday nights, our, our two man weave. And it was Delaware minus nine, ended up getting a great number on them. They're up 13 in the stretch run of that game against an Elon team that had no size. And basically I predicated it on the fact that Dylan Painter, the Villanova transfer, the pride of Hershey PA was just going to put up a huge game. He finishes with 23, 12 and three blocks but here's the thing, in the last 11 minutes, when you t- you know take aside the fact that he had one shot attempt that he was foul on, zero attempts from the field. And this is the thing that just drives me crazy about modern college basketball, is that you can fall in love if you face a zone with you know shooting those threes and you know the expected points on three-pointers and stuff like that. Elon had one starter over six, seven. Painter was eating the whole, the whole first 30 minutes of the game. Just keep feeding the basketball and you're gonna win going away. They end up winning that game by three. They probably should have lost. They just folded down the stretch. And just one little note, you know, I, I grew up around gamblers. My father was a gambler, be at the country club. People were always talking about bad beats. And I remember as a very young child, when an, a, a gambler had a play on something where they're laying, you know, 10 or 15, once it gets into that range where you're going to lose, I would always see them flip it around and be like, I hope Elon wins this game. And I remember as a kid, I'm like, that just seems weird to get that bitter that quickly. Now, I, I fully experienced it. I wanted the Phoenix to take them down there. A Delaware team that needed the win. They need the momentum. They've never won a, a game in the NCAA tournament school history. Like, have a little pride. Just beat the heck out of bad teams, and they didn't do it. So that was very frustrating to see him take zero shots in the final 10, 11 minutes of that game. We got a lot of, a lot of shout-outs in there, including Hershey, PA. Um, I was just talking – I'm not I'm – not, not too far from Hershey, from where we grew up. Now I'm down in Lexington. I took my wife to uh, the Hershey Hotel. Phenomenal place. Not a euphemism. An actual hotel. It's yeah, a place Hershey you can go hotel. to. Uh, CA. If you want a CAA better, follow Mike on Twitter. I saw you saying, look, if I win one more, maybe you jinxed yourself with Delaware. You're on quite a run, but hopefully you can get hot yeah. again. All right, let's move on to some actual picks for tonight and tomorrow. Before we get into where we're looking at for today and tomorrow, we do have the big Monday game, which will break down, break down each and every week. Kansas, Texas Tech. Here's the thing. When someone this, this weekend asked me, they said, who are the five teams? You know, they, they were like, I've been watching football. Who are the five teams that you think have the best chance to cut down the nets come March? So, and this was, this was before Kentucky Auburn, but I said, I think these are two of them, Kentucky Auburn. You know, I thought about Arizona, I think. You got to put Gonzaga up there. Baylor's in the discussion. And then I said, yeah, I think, well, my fifth, I went with Kansas. And I look, I look at the team and I say, they have all the pieces. They're really well balanced. They don't really have a major weakness. They have a go-to guy. And I don't think that many people are <clears throat> talking about Kansas as a legit national title threat. So they're not, they're not in that. I feel like they're just not, usually they are. They're not in that same class two people um i think this team is excellent i'm looking forward to this one tonight bj any thoughts yeah this is a really interesting matchup you know kansas by the definition escaped manhattan on saturday they were down 75 69 with 308 left and i looked at i went back and looked at the uh action network apps win probability and kansas state had a 97 percent chance of winning and kansas state didn't score for the final three minutes of the game so you know, Kansas coming into this one is, uh, you know, they've obviously had close calls against Iowa State as well. 
but this is a strength versus strength matchup. Both these teams are, you know, Kansas offense is top 10 and adjusted offensive efficiency while Texas Tech's defense is top five uh, defensive efficiency. You know, Kansas, they obviously love to get the ball to the rim. You know, Braun and Abaji really love to, you know, take the ball off the dribble and get to the rim. But that's very hard to do uh, against Texas Tech's defense. The real question I have in this one is can Tech's, you know, offense generate enough against Kansas's defense? Because Kansas does have, you know, a few weaknesses. They are pretty good inside. Uh, you know, Texas Tech doesn't shoot the ball at a very high rate from, from behind the arc. They do a ton of isolation. They do a ton of mid-range stuff. So, uh, basically how they have to win this game is they got to muck it up like they usually do. But, you know, based on the line and over-under, I do think that the number is correct. I might try to jump in live. But, yeah, it'll be a really interesting matchup to see if Kansas's offense can score against Texas Tech's defense. Yeah, they have – I mean, Kansas has the shooters to – I wouldn't say exploit, but get to this Texas Tech defense. And I, right now, it's not – Kansas is not playing at its peak. And you might look at their winning streak and say, look, I mean, Kansas is on a roll. They're really not. I mean – they beat Iowa State by one at home. And by the way, they lost to this Texas Tech team back on January 8th on the road in Lubbock, 75-67. But you, that Oklahoma game, I think per shot quality, Oklahoma had an 85% postgame win expectancy. And then, as you mentioned, they escaped Manhattan with a win by three. So it's a team that's just been kind of finding ways to win at the end of the games. And I think self still tinkering with some things. I have no interest in laying it here. But like you, I think the line is about right. Any Take care, Mike. I'm, I've kind of been a broken record recently on Kansas and Jalen Wilson's contribution, but it really started with that game against Texas Tech on the eighth. Um, you know, he had his breakout game. He contributes 15 rebounds and even his performance against K-State. He's finding a way to be impactful without taking many shots. I think he only took eight or nine shots in that game, finishes with 16 points, 10 rebounds. Um, I agree that, you know, he's a part of them reaching their ceiling this season. So I'm really encouraged to see him play efficient basketball and not necessarily be someone who needs to have the ball in his hands a lot to make an impact. So I agree. I think that the game is accurately priced, but I'm just interested um, from a bigger picture perspective to see him continue this level of play as someone who's holding, uh, I believe it's an 18 to one future on Kansas. I'm feeling pretty good about where they are right now. Yeah, it's a good price. And what, what I think they really need, like, I think the pieces are there for self to have them peak and come March. What they really need, and you nailed it, Wilson. And then the one thing that would scare me about them to make a journey run is McCormick could have show up for four or five games in a row. I mean, here, ready? 11. We'll start here. 15, 8, 11, 2, 14, 1, 17, 4, 19, 6. These are his point totals. I mean, just he looks great. And the next day – the next team, it's like, what, what happened to McCormick? So, but if he, if they can get consistent dominant games out of him and then Wilson, they have the guard playing self. So uh, that's another thing I'm going to watch with like, will can McCormick just get, can we get some consistent play out of him? It's very bizarre. All right, let's move on to games that we're looking at for tonight. Um, I will say I'll start. I'm going to go, I think Northeastern, I'm not going to, I got to ask you about that, Mike. I got to ask about Northeastern. I think they've been just, snake bit to start. I mean, they've, they've been shorthanded. They can't buy a break on their roster. They haven't bought a break against anyone else. Uh, look, we said this last Monday is the buy low spot for Northeastern. I will be on them, but I'm going to say St. John's uh, plus seven against Seton Hall. I think you see this a lot of times. It's a very unique spot. They just played on Saturday. They're playing on Monday. I don't care if they played on the moon. Like they're both, they both have to do the same travel after they just played. There's no real travel advantage here. Like, okay, we played here. Now on Monday, we're going to play here. So I think that the home court swing in the line uh, from last game to this one 
is too much. So I like the Johnnies. Uh, Mike, I'll throw it to you. Would uh, Northeastern, would you, as the, the CAA guy, would you recommend? When that point spread came out, I thought that indicated to me either you're interested in, you know, Wilmington on the money line or it's a pass. And I agree, you know, Northeastern has had all these you know, bad things happen to them. So why not go ahead and chalk it up as an opportunity for them to finally bounce back with this? I'm going to sit on the sideline or maybe just, you know, a half unit on the money line. Um, and I agree with the assessment on St. John's and Seton Hall. If it had been a higher scoring game and St. John's had played the kind of pace they wanted to play and lost and came up short, I would probably stay away from this. But the fact that they you know, were taken out of that, that tempo and they play a lower scoring game, I think it was in the mid-120s, I think there's a lot of value in you know, them getting back to the, the brand of basketball they want to play and kind of dictating the pace a little bit you know, on a short road trip. Um, in terms of the play I like here, the Patriot League has had some very strange home and away differentials in terms of the point spread. And this is a game where Colgate opens against Loyola, Maryland as an 11 point favorite. And I can understand why since 2015 Colgate is far and away the best home favorite in the Patriot league. They've covered 64% of their games in those spots, which puts them in the top 3% of all of college basketball. So I understand showing them respect, but when you look at what they've done in recent weeks, they've been feasting on bad teams, you know, Lehigh army Bucknell, and defensively, they don't throw teams off of what they're trying to do. They're, they don't create turnovers. You can get threes and open looks whenever you want them, and they don't really crash the glass. And you're looking at a Loyola team that's one of the best defensive rebounding mid-majors in the country. They got those Serbian twins, Illich. Um, they got Golden DK. They have the size to be able to make a difference there. And then when you look at how they're playing in the Patriot League, this is something I harp on over and over again. Don't look at stats, you know, holistically for mid-majors, particularly when they can be biased by having played up in their non-conference schedule. When you look at how Loyola is playing in the Patriot League, they're top in turnover margin. They're third in rebound. They're third in opposing field goal percentage. They got the leading scorer in the whole league in Camp Spencer, almost 20 points per game. And they've been damn good on the road, four and one straight up, four and one against the spread in their last five, including two outright upsets. So I'm going to go ahead and take the Greyhounds here plus 11. I think it's a little too rich. My power rankings call for this to be an eight point spread. Yeah, some of the lowest home court advantages in all of college basketball in the Patriot League. You go back to Ivy League kind of the same way. You're not going to have crazy home court. You know, you don't, you don't have crazy fans in these huge gyms. Travel isn't bad. Um, so I don't mind that look as well. Let me ask you a question, though. Not just this year. For the rest of your life, you can you have to throw one out. CAA, Patriot League. Are you, you clear CAA all day? You can never watch the other one the rest of your life. See, CAA, to me, there's actual opportunities to watch it. I don't have to watch it on like a Facebook Live kind of stream. So I'll, I'll go ahead and keep CAA and throw the Patriot League, you know, the drum and fife, all the – pomp and circumstance of the Patriot league just kind of goes out the window for me. If you're, if you're making me have that Sophie's choice, I'll go ahead and stick with CAA. So you're marrying CAA, you're killing Patriot league. And this is a family friendly podcast. So we don't have to talk about the other one. <laughs> BJ, where are you going tonight? I'm going to go to the A-10. George Mason minus seven over St. Joseph's. It's been a really weird season for George Mason. They won their first four games, including a win on the road in Maryland. Then they lost five straight. They went on a COVID pause in early January they come out of that COVID pause, they lose to George Washington, who was down two starters and is, you know, outside the top 250 in the Ken Palm rankings. But although, you know, uh, George Mason's best player, Josh Aduro, was out this past weekend. They beat Dave, they beat Dayton at home with Aduro back in the lineup, 50 to 49. And now I think they have a pretty good matchup uh, against St. Joseph. So the Patriots shoot 
threes at the 17th highest rate in the country. And they knocked down a little over 36% of them. So a really good three-point shooting team. St. Joseph's is 290th in the country in three-point field goal percentage allowed. George Mason should be able to torch them in transition. St. Joseph's allows 1.13 points per possession there. And that's the bottom 6% of college basketball. On the flip side, St. Joseph's is not really the type of offense that's going to exploit George Mason's, 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 ugh, George Mason's weaknesses. Uh, the Patriots are really bad against spot-up shooting. St. Joseph's 209th in the country in effective field goal percentage, and they shoot below 33% from behind the arc. So I think it's a good spot uh, for George Mason to continue to, you know, get some positive momentum going forward with Oduru back in the lineup. So uh, give me George Mason minus seven. All right, let's move on to Tuesday and tomorrow, if you listen to this on Monday. Looks that we have maybe just one game. If you want to throw out two, go right ahead. I th- it's a smaller card. Uh, I think that I'm curious to see where this line comes out, but you can't not look at Missouri at home against Auburn after. And look, it was re- it was really disappointing because that game I was so excited for it. Then Kentucky has injuries, and then the same thing happened against LSU. Auburn is spectacular. Uh, if you watch them, you can tell that they're a legit national title contender. They're number one in the nation right now. But you also can tell that Auburn is uh, not used to being the number one team in the country. If you looked at how they celebrated that win over Kentucky, it's obviously a huge win, but they were celebrating. And that's an enormous win for them. They're number one in the country. Now you go to Missouri. And I think Missouri's been getting, I think, value at home in these spots of late. Just take a they've been playing a lot better. You know, they beat Alabama at home by six. They go to Arkansas. They lose by 700,000 points. It was a absolute get right ride the true spot for Arkansas they go to Texas and they play Texas A&M at home they're in position to win it they choke late they go on the road and beat Ole Miss by 25 and then they actually played better than I expected at Alabama last game so I think that Missouri at home against the number one team in the country in just a, a sleepy spot like can I get will this be you know, can I get 15 I don't know if it'll be that high um, but you have to look at a potential Auburn fade, depending on what the number is um, in Missouri here, where I think it's just a, you know, I could see Auburn coming out extremely flat and then they, they'll inevitably make a run. So scary team to fade uh, and, and take on the Tigers here. But I think that's the look, Mike, anything for you? I just need to make sure I protect my, my St. Joe's Hawks here, even though I agree with uh, BJ's play. Um, it's either stay away from me or I think you should be on the Patriots there. I'll just, you know, throw some positivity in there. Larry's cheesesteaks on 54th. Great place to grab a cheesesteak late. Um, in terms of my plays here uh, and, you know, my one look at, I'm interested to see where the total comes out between Arizona and UCLA. Uh, arguably one of the best regular season packed 12 games in years. Um, but in terms of trends, you look at UCLA, they don't play necessarily a snail's pace, but they're super comfortable slowing things down. Eight of their last 11 have gone under the closing total and five of those eight have come by 10 points or more. So that's pretty significant for numbers that have been lining up in, you know, the high one thirties, low one forties to go way underneath. Arizona has also been an under trend five of the last seven, but when you look at what Tommy Lloyd's put together, it's not an offense predicated on one guy going off Matherin, Coloco, Tubelis, uh, you know, Krisa, they're all averaging over 12 points per game. So this number I have, I'm interested to see where it pops off at, because if it's below, let's say 152, I think I'm interested in potentially playing this over that total. Yeah. If you watch, if you haven't watched Arizona, some of you might not have seen them a lot because they play on the West coast. And if you're not familiar with their coach, Tommy, Lloyd, I mean, he's, he inherited a really good team with a ton of talent and, 
you can tell where he came from because if you watch Gonzaga, right? So if you watch the Gonzaga game, at every, every possible moment they want to go, it is at all speed. Same with Arizona. You watch them, they are push, push, push. I think they're maybe first or second adjusted tempo, and it's just get out and go, go, go. Um, you can see a lot of similarities between those two teams and Matherin lottery pick. They, they, they are a complete team. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to this game. BJ? Yeah, I'll stay out West. I'll go to the Mountain West. Uh, Wyoming, Boise stay a huge game uh, on Tuesday night. Wyoming has been kind of overperforming this season. You know, their shot quality record is 13 and four, but they're 15 and two on the season. Uh, season. Uh, this is a pretty big wake up call for them because they're going to be facing one of the best defenses uh, in, you know, mid-major college basketball. Wyoming is, you know, 16th in effective field goal percentage. They're top 10 in two-point field goal percentage and free throw rate, along with the fact that they hardly ever turn the ball over. But what's funny about Wyoming, and I, I don't think I've ever seen this before, but when they're incredible in the half court. They're the second best team in college basketball in points, points per possession in the half court. EK, but, EK, man, he's been phenomenal. Yeah, but they're second to last in points per possession in transition and they hardly ever go in transition. So, you know, it, but it's just very, it's very weird. Like the two opposite ends of the spectrum, Boise state top 7% in points per possession allowed in half court defense. Also Wyoming, one of their uh, starters, Xavier Dussel, who averages about 10 points a game. He's missed the last three games. So this is gonna be a difficult matchup for them on the road, Boise state. They're not good offensively by any stretch of the imagination. I, you know, they're, 42-37 game against San Diego State uh, on Saturday. Maybe set college basketball back 20 years. But our great offensive rebounding team, they get to the free throw line at a fairly high rate. They shoot 61% on shot attempts at the rim. Wyoming is an elite three-point defensive team, but Boise State doesn't take a lot of threes. So uh, I think this is a really good spot uh, for Boise State to, to take down Wyoming. Wyoming only won by two against New Mexico this Saturday. So I think they're due finally to, to have a loss after this long winning streak. Ken Palm has us at minus five. I would love to have Boise State at minus five, but I would play it all the way up to minus seven if uh, Ducell is still out. Yeah, I looked. I almost sent a message uh, in our Slack to the product team that the the score was wrong. Uh, in that <laughs> Boise game. I was like, wait, is, this is it says final. There's no way that forty two thirty seven. Um, I don't hate that look at all. By the way, we have to come up with. We're going to do some kind of Monday episode. We'll do like a competition, maybe a type of leaderboard. We, we need punishments. And um, so think about it. And if you have ideas, wherever you, you know, listen to the podcast, please leave a review, five-star review. We'll do some giveaways here shortly. I know, like, I'm thinking Mike has to be, like, his punishment has to be the hawk. He has to be, the whole entire podcast, he has to be waving his arms. I don't know. BJ, it's got to be Iowa-related. I have to be Kentucky-related. So think on that. we got some time. It'll be a March thing. Uh, but appreciate everyone tuning in. Thanks, as always, to Mike and BJ. Like I said before, please leave a review, a five-star review. Subscribe, unsubscribe, subscribe, tell a friend, tell an enemy. Stuff really helps us out. Guys from the Three Man Weave will be back on Wednesday. And then myself and BJ will be back on Friday afternoon with the weekend betting preview. Good luck to all of your wagers tonight and throughout the rest of the week. And we'll catch you all later. Cheers. Cheers.